Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense, dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a 220-pound mountain of jellyfish. And I'm Shane Sparky Plug. Oh, I forgot to wear my Sparky Plug shirt. (laughs) Welcome to episode 110, Royal Rumble 1994. 30 participants in your living room. We're here in your in your your brain's living room, your ears. Yes. Your ear holes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The side windows to your head uh, house. <laughs> the side windows to your head house. <laughs> oh my god, that's great. <laughs> this was the seventh annual rumble produced by the WWF. It would take place on January twenty second, nineteen ninety four. Day from, after my birthday. Woo. From the Providence Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island, with an attendance of 14,500 people. Keeping it trucking. Is that like the entire state of Rhode Island? (laughs) Right. Wow. January 22nd. Hey, that's the day after uh, my nephew's birthday, too. What year were you born? 87. Oh, he's an 88. Oh, wow. Twinsies! right. Well, yeah. What's what's our sign? I don't follow that stupid shit. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel. I want to say I know his stone was a garnet. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I think it's a fish. Pisces? No, maybe. I don't know. Is Aquarius? It's not Aquarius. (laughs) It's not Aquarius. It's the other one with the A. I don't know. know. The whole Aquarius thing confuses me because the whole song thing and it's It's from hair or whatever. Like literally a few years ago, those all like few of them changed. Oh yeah, like they shifted and. That's they're just yeah. Wrong. The moon got its period, and everybody bought a crystal about it. Yeah, it was just wrong. <laughs> I, I've always been a Leo Virgo cusp. August twenty third, most of the times it's in the Virgo side, but oftentimes it will appear. So you know this stuff? Last day, not really. I just know mine. Okay. My my dates, just because when that whole thing came out, everybody was trying to tell me I was like a Libra or whatever. Uh, it's like bullshit. I'm, I remember one time uh, I was at like. Uh, my, lion, my friend's wedding and another guy that I'm like not as close friends with but like his girlfriend was there and I mean if it was, it was, wedding, it was, it was a wedding it was probably his fiance yeah. no it wasn't, it wasn't the guy getting married it was, but it was a group of people who were talking and somehow it came up that like uh, signs or whatever and she asked me when my birthday was and she's like oh yeah we won't get along and I'm like bitch you don't even know me yeah, like this is bullshit you can't judge me on some stupid shit about the fucking moon or what that. are you a Christian weirdo oh you're a Virgo yeah. aren't you oh my gosh it yeah, makes me so yeah. mad just be be nice if you don't that's like right. me that's fine I don't care if you don't like me but don't don't cast aspersions ma'am that's right but you know what we do care about wrestling and food yes from Rhode Island <laughs> From Rhode Island, our first venture to Rhode Island, and we had to do like the Rhode Islanders do. It was like Romans? We did like Romans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did what I normally do, and I jumped on the old uh, internet and looked up what the hell do people eat in Rhode Island, and there was a 
Come to wide find variety out of stuff. <laughs> they, they've got hot wieners. They've got frozen lemonade. Oh, they've got fried dough. But, so they're know, basically like a weekend fair? Kind of. I mean, I'm, it's I fast fair. You, you just said you just I, said I, all I fair. We just said trash people. And I'm not lying. I don't know anything about Rhode Island. Is Rhode Island like the south of, I, of I, the north of the northeast? I know it's yes. the south by northeast. I know it's small. <laughs> I know Family Guy takes place there, and that was about all I knew about Rhode Island uh, up until I did my little dive, and I figured you know it's kind of coastal, so you want something seafoody. And that was totally not where I was going with it originally. I looked up what their sandwich was, and it was kind of boring. It was just an Italian grinder. You know, we've all had Italian sandwiches everywhere. And then I looked up their drink, and it was the cabinet coffee or coffee cabinet or something like that. Basically, it's coffee ice cream with coffee syrup and milk blended together. So it's just like an extra. You don't like coffee coffee ice cream? No. I'm a fan. See, I'm almost wishing I would have got both of them because that would have come in. The coffee, the coffee could have zing of caffeine and a nice cooling effect. Because what I did decide on was Rhode Island style calamari. It's pretty good. Haven't ever had it before. It's your uh, your typical battered and fried calamari tossed with roasted garlic butter and some sliced cherry peppers. This one has a variety of different peppers. I think there's some jalapenos, peppercinis. Some peppercinis, there's some red some onion. pickled onions in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's got a good crunch. It came with a, a big chunk of uh, lemon to squeeze over the top of it, so you got a nice little citrus kick to go with the heat and the, the punch of the garlic. We went to, uh, right here in Oklahoma City, Pearl's Oyster Bar over in the uh, Class and Curve area. Beautiful little spread for uh, yeah, a takeout of calamari. It's a, a big fat portion of it and uh reasonably priced and yeah we split yeah, it up I mean, between it's like three a, people and there's still some left over for me to take home afterwards so it's a huge salad of spicy pickled peppers yeah but it's very pretty yeah lots of greens and and purples and a little red yeah the 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 golden color of the uh the calamari so doesn't come with your uh yeah your sauce like you get at a lot of places with marinara or some sort of aioli because this one has the garlic butter in there that they toss it all in so it soaks up a nice deliciousness. Providence has the most number of donut shops per person in the U.S. Weird. Oh, I'm glad is, you didn't bring more donuts. That was rough. This is actually it's hard the, to eat uh, a donut or two and then talk. This is actually the official appetizer of Rhode Island as well. Mm. The headquarters of Hasbro Toys is in Providence as well. Oh. Mm. Yeah, like um, I remember there was a show called Providence. I never watched it, but I remember it was on because there was a chick from a soap opera that used to be on when I was a kid. Yeah, so uh, iconic Rhode Island foods, cold pizza strips. Ugh, they are cheeseless. Those. It's just like meat and sauce on cold though cheese sticks. I love cold pizza. I do too, but cold pizza strips sticks. is not a good. That's not a good way to sell something. Um, Would you like some cold pizza strips? Oysters. I'll say yes, casino, but do I have to pay? Stuffies. What's Clams Casino? Isn't that like clams with baked with like a um, stuffing in them? I know it's a pretty far, interesting yeah. producer. It doesn't say what it's it like is slots, and you just have you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> is it cooked? Is it not cooked? 
Um, is there a cherry in it? I don't remember what the hell Clams Casino has. Yeah, it's all right. We'll clam go back to cakes. Basically like uh, a little clam fritters. Johnny Cakes. Awful offals. I think we've skipped Rhode Island too much time. Hey, yeah, it's 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 little... little shittily? Yeah. Well, it's not a little shittily. <laughs> Something that happened around, around the same time as this show. World War 1994. The debut album... Of Jimmy Eat World. Soft serve. Nah. Sugar on the asphalt. Yeah. Our hearts. Well, um, That's not on that album. No, I know. But it's the one of the songs that I know. I'm not super familiar with all of the Jimmy Eat World catalog. And P.O.D. would both be released the next week. We are we are the youth and we're Asian. That would also not be on their first album. I know. <laughs> I know. Those are the albums that I'm familiar with by these two groups. Uh, but I, have, yes, I don't know the early very, stuff. Michael's basically... Uh, Saying that these two bands, their first albums were not their, they're not the albums that made them popular. They might be their best albums, but they're not their, they're not when they broke, broke into mainstream radio. Exactly. Where both these bands broke into mainstream radio in 2001-ish. Yeah. Yeah, because I had to look up P.O.D. Like, I don't remember listening to them in 1994 and then realized, okay, they were a Christian rock band. They were on Tooth and Nail in 94. I'm... Don't think that's true, but might as well be. <laughs> but they're friends with Ray Mysterio, so because they do. Wow, his theme song for at WrestleMania. I don't remember which one it is. Twenty. Oh, Shane's supposed to be the 20, one that helps me out with these things. I don't remember. Twenty-four. Which one. I don't know. But they perform live. I'm gonna guess for all the marbles. Twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good number to me. Yeah. I have no clue. But yeah. I'm a huge fan of both these bands. I mean, obviously, I their first albums are not their are not their best albums, yeah, as, I as you would say. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I know those a handful of Jimmy World songs, and I should be more familiar with them, considering I do like some of the like early '90s uh, emo stuff. I love me some like me some Braid and what have you, but never really went into the Jimmy World Pod. Never quite the fan, but that, like, what is it, Southtown or whatever? That song kind of honks. 22. Yeah, you were close. Yeah. Same date, 22, as this show, January 22nd. Hey, hey. But yeah, Jimmy Eat World, Lead Americans, probably their best album. Futures, the album that came right after, was yeah. pretty good. They kind of fell off after those two albums. I mean, they have a huge fan base. They do. It's one of those things, like, I don't know what of theirs is good and not. I know the singles, and I enjoy them, but I never did the deep dive. There's only so much, there's so much shit out there. I'll and, get to it eventually. Yeah, P.O.D., probably the, the last big thing they did, really, was the was the Rey Mysterio theme song. Because, yeah. like, they kind of just They had off. a quick, they, they had a very they had a very quick moment yeah. in, like, the, in mainstream radio. Well, let's see if Royal Rumble can stay on in the mainstream. Let's do it. We get highlights projected onto a building. I know. It's, this is such a classic 90s wrestling thing, and it's like the first time we see it. Like, the Nitro intro is faces on buildings at some point, right? Yeah. It's like they're just putting, projecting, project, projecting onto walls is a big thing for wrestling intros through from here on out, I'd imagine. And then we get the logo appearing in the sky. Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show. He goes over some of the matches. And then he is joined by the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, for commentary. 
Yeah, Ted DiBiase comes out and throws dirt on the name of John Madden. Yeah. He's got more money. Like, so it, it sounded like John Madden just got like a really big deal for commentating this, or something. I was like, is this when his uh, I think video game contract kicked in? I think he moved from CBS to, uh, to Fox. Yeah, it's that's what it sounded like. I mean, they were just doing a current event type yeah, of thing. Yeah, basically making fun of the pitiful contract that he signed. Yeah, and this is... I mean, Ted's been in every Rumble. This is the first one he's sitting out. Yep. And the first time he's done commentary on a show. And I'm like, Vince McMahon and Ted DiBiase on commentary? And my heart just cracks a little. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a... It just cracks a little. I like Ted... But he's not as goofy or funny. Decent heel. Yeah. But I don't know. If Vince McMahon is not Gorilla Monsoon. No. <laughs> I don't know if he has everything it takes to. Uh... You can't buy your way out of this one, Teddy. Money doesn't buy everything. <laughs> no, it sure doesn't. Or does it? We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> so we're off to our first match: Tatanka versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam, bam. With Luna Vachon. And this match was originally supposed to be Ludwig Borga. Mm. Instead of Bam Bam. But he was out with an injury. And he would never return to action. You know what's uh, cool? That we don't have Ludwig Borga here? Yeah, because who doesn't love Bam Bam? Especially with Luna by his side. This is this is the good stuff. He, he had a, a Tony short run. Yeah. He's, he was... He, he, he took his hate elsewhere. Oh, Tony Hama, yeah. Real scumbag. <laughs> so Bam Bam charges in, but Tatanka avoids and a slugfest breaks out. Be- yeah, straight in for the splash. Bam Bam starting hot. Until Bigelow hits a dropkick. Charges in again, only to receive a clothesline. Multiple shoulder blocks, a dropkick, and a crossbody before the Native American goes to work on the arm. Tatanka catches Bam Bam telegraphing with a DDT. Goes up top for a flying body press, but Bigelow moves out of the way. Bam Bam takes control with an avalanche splash in the corner. Irish whip and charges into a big boot, allowing the Native American to go up top for a flying sunset flip. But Bigelow just sits down on him to crush him. Uh, This is what I call the drop dead ass. (laughs) I wonder if he has the same flame tattoo on his head as he has each cheek. Drop that Asbury Park. <laughs> Very good. Beast from the East, New Jersey man. Falling headbutt, drop kick, and a bear hug from Bam Bam. But Tatanka finally escapes with clubbing blows, followed by hitting a power slam for a two kick. In the last episode, we talked about how they worked Hawks back and then did the bear hug, and that was good. This was a poorly applied and unnecessary bear hug that was bad. Yeah, that's all. I just wanted to point out that this is we talked about how what a good bear hug is, and then now we have a prime example of a bad bear hug, even with big guys. Both men are running the ropes, and they both go for a crossbody, so we get a double KO. That crossbody spot looks awesome. <laughs> it's a hard spot like, to pull. Which off. way are we going? It looks. It's hard to pull I that. Know, spot. I was on the edge of my seat waiting <laughs> to find out what, what he thought. It, they, they, that's hard to pull that spot off, and they fucking did it, and it was like picture perfect between these two guys with their body like shapes and sizes. This was the perfect double crossbody spot. I loved it. Bigelow is up first, and he slams the Native American's head into a turnbuckle, only for Tatanka to no sell 
and start up the war dance. Bam Bam then hits an insiguri to the back of the Native American's head to stop the dancing. Oh yeah, he's like, this is whack, and he's right, and he takes care of it for all of us. And he follows that up with doing a little bit of dancing himself. I know. There goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. Bigelow goes up top, coming off with a moonsault. Ah. But Tatanka moves out of the way. No. Climbs up top himself to come off with a flying crossbody. For the pin and, and the, the win. win. So I guess we're building Tatanka back up. The Bam Bam is like, Bam Bam moonsault. We're like, cool. He's like, yeah, but you're not going to hit the moonsault. And he must have been like, <laughs> tomorrow's going to suck. <laughs> fucking Tatanka. It's a nice fucking start. Quick, quick, big spots, big boys. Vince then sends us to a video package. And we see footage from the Survivor Series. Where mm-hmm. Owen Hart had run into Brett, sending him into the guardrail and allowing Shawn Michaels to pin him, making him the only Hart to be eliminated during the match. And he was not very happy getting into it verbally. We then go a couple weeks later, and Vince is interviewing the Rocket on Superstars. And Owen starts ranting about being in the shadow of the Hitman before challenging Brett to a match. Tired of living in the shadow. Hitman would respond on another episode of Superstars, saying, People would love to see it. He's never ducked a challenge. That's why I can say I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But under no circumstances would I ever step into the ring with my own brother. I mean, can you argue with it? Uh, You got 14 brothers. (laughs) <laughs> wrestled with him more than enough. But that was in the dungeon, baby. What's in the dungeon stays in the dungeon, baby. Yeah. You, you did it where you kicked their ass and, you know, took out teeth and stuff. Here you This is real. You're, you just... Give it to the people, Brett. Come on. Quit being selfish. Another week, another superstars, and we see Brett and Rocket together in the back. They have sat down and resolved their issues. Maybe they'll never find out who the better wrestler is but they're going to channel their energies towards the Quebecers and Tag Team Gold. They're better together, baby. One more highlight is from Raw a week later, and the Quebecers would lose the titles to 1-2-3-Kid and Marty Jannetty. One thing, in that moment where they're like, oh, we'll be better together, 1994 is going to be our year, Owen does like a little like brotherly love, like light fist to Bret Hart's chin, and it is chef's kiss perfect. <laughs> Brett doesn't like oversell it, but it just like continues to sow the seeds in the way we want W the way we love WWF things to build is to this point still the Mega Powers is probably the best way they've ever really built anything long term or whatever, but this is using that kind of like subtlety. Yeah. And Subtlety with a hammer, you know what I mean? It's like they put... it's a, It might be a mallet, but it's a rubber mallet. <laughs> like, <laughs> Then we see that the Quebecers would win the titles back at a Madison Square Garden house show the next co- week. Yeah, only a couple of days before this, I think. Exactly. We then go back to Todd Pettengill with the Hart Brothers. And the Hitman and Owen say they're going to win it and bring the titles home to Mom. Aw, Helen... How sweet. I know. 
So, such sweet boys. Look at those faces. So we get our second match. The Quebecers of Jacques and Pierre with Johnny Polo versus the Hart brothers of Brett the Hitman and Owen the Rocket Hart for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Johnny what Johnny who Polo. <laughs> the champions come out first. Foreshadowing. So Brett's running the ropes, only for Pierre to catch him with a body slam and starts to run the ropes himself, but ends up running into a knee in the gut. Owen's using his quickness to hit a hip toss for two before Jacques tags in and looks for a handshake, but the rocket isn't falling for it. Jacques then telegraphs an Irish whip, allowing Owen to hit a vertical suplex, a drop kick, and an enziguri. For a two count. The hitman comes in with a demolition decapitation on Jacques for a near fall, followed by a small package, a sunset flip, and a roll up, all for two counts. Pierre comes in, pummeling both brothers. The Quebecers go to Irish whip them into each other, but Brett ducks, allowing the rocket to spear Jacques, forcing the Quebecers to roll out to regroup. Yeah, they've regrouped a couple of times. They hugged once. Polo gives them some water. They're really chicken shit, you know, douching it up over here. Back in the ring, the hitman delivers an atomic drop to Jacques, then slingshots Pierre into the ring. Owen comes in with a jumping clothesline, followed by a gut-wrench suplex for a near fall. Brett's back in, only to run into a power slam from Pierre, and the Quebecers take control with double-team efforts. When Jacques hits a back elbow, goes to the middle rope, and coming off, but right into a boot to the face, allowing the hitman to crawl to the corner for the hot, hot tag. The rocket goes drop kick crazy on both Quebecers, back body drop on Jacques, belly, belly to, to belly bellies. on Pierre, spinning heel kick on Jacques, and looks to apply the sharpshooter, but Pierre breaks it up, allowing the Quebecers to take over with a double team hot shot. Owen fires up, hitting a double drop kick, making it to the corner for a hot tag. The hitman comes in with right hands, a drop kick to Pierre, Russian leg sweep on Jacques, backbreaker on Pierre, double noggin knocker to them both. The rocket grabs Jacques, and Brett goes to come off the ropes, but Johnny Polo separates the ropes, causing the hitman to fall through to the floor crashing his knee on the guardrail. <laughs> then what happened? <laughs> I know. The Quebecers start working over the knee, slamming it with chairs and Polo's golf putter. Owen keeps coming over to stop it, but ends up getting tossed into the guardrail as well. Back in the ring, the Quebecers with a wishbone, and Jacques locks on the Quebec crab, which the rocket breaks up, allowing Pierre to come in with a flying leg drop followed by more work on that knee, until Pierre comes in off the top with a Jacques-assisted senton, but Brett moves in time. Instead of going for the tag, the hitman goes to lock on the sharpshooter. Oh, the, also that leg drop on the back of Brett's head is on the money. Mm -hmm. But he cannot get it applied correctly because of the pain in his knee. They, so they've been working that knee. And the ref... Calls for the bell. Ah. The official announcement is 
ref stoppage due to Brett unable to continue. So the Quebecers keep the titles. Set it up, baby. Set them up. One pin at a time. That Jacques Rizzo always has it out over the Hitman damn near every time. Stole his manager during the tag team days. Stole his Intercontinental belt when Brett was sick. You like the swerve of uh, champions out first? Yeah, it's great. I know. It's time. It's time. (laughs) Post-match. Owen is angry at the ref. Oh, he's pissed. Kicking the ropes before turning his attention to the hitman, yelling at him that he was ready for the tag. Just tag. That's all he had to do. All you had to do was tag. Brett's struggling to stand up, using the ropes to help himself. When the rocket kicks the bad knee, knocking the hitman back to the mat before walking to the back, complaining to the camera that Brett is. Too damn selfish. I feel like I said similar words before this damn match even started. Mm. We then see the hitman being attended to by officials when Ray Rougeau comes into the ring to try and get a word. Pat Patterson keeps shoving him away, but does say that it's uncertain if Brett will be able to compete in the Rumble later in the evening. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, you know what, Pat Patterson? You don't need to be pushing a, uh, a WWF commentator. commentator. <laughs> what the hell is the word I was looking for there? Talkie boy? Yeah. I mean, his brother just took out Bret Hart. What do, you, mm-hmm. what do you think Ray can do to you? You're like 45 here. <laughs> You're only 45. <laughs> <laughs> we then go to the back, and Todd Pettengill's there with Owen Hart. And Todd just starts with... Why, Owen? Why? Why? Sorry, nothing but oh, Bret Hart's like you're nothing but selfish. He says that he's nothing but selfish. You only worry about yourself, and you stripped it away. All you had to do was tag me. Nothing but a selfish person. Yes. I thought I had the perfect partner, but your ego is too big. And as the interview's going on, and it's on the Titan Tron mm-hmm. out, out in the crowd. The hitman is being stretchered to the back. Oh, yeah. It's so great. So he can see and hear this all. This is like when WWE fires on all cylinders. It's like they can do it. They just don't put the energy into it. And it's not like you can have every storyline be like this. But it seems like they're when they hit, they're a little too far. Like, it's few and far between. That's what I'm saying. Like... You should have one of these going at all times, man. Yep. At least try. And then we get the classic Owen Hart line. You're too damn selfish, and that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. (laughs) I kicked your leg with my leg. I kicked the shit out of your leg. Uh, I put my whole heart into the kick that I used to take out your leg. I don't know, but yeah, your leg out of your leg, baby. Not quite ready for prime time. <laughs> we then go to Vince and DiBiase, and they discuss what just happened. And Million Dollar Man applauds Owen, saying he is just doing what he has to do. Yeah. How's You're not going to be a millionaire if you're working for somebody else. You're not going to get out from under the shadow if you stay behind. And oh, we're headed off to our third match. Erwin R. Scheister versus Razor Ramon. For the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Uh, is Rhode Island okay with paying their taxes? I figure it'd be easy. <laughs> I heard it's just so funny to me. 
He's like, you text, cheats, and it's like, what kind of insult is that? I'm going to collect the WWF yeah. Intercontinental I guess Championship because like, you guys didn't pay your taxes. It's like, does, is that like the most evil thing to Vince McMahon is tax cheats? Or uh, you know that he's just paying people to find ways for him to pay less taxes uh, his whole career? So like, what's the angle? Both. <laughs> <laughs> So the story behind this match goes back to when Money, Inc. would make fun of Razor for losing to the 1-2-3 kid. But these two's hatred of each other was furthered when IRS would steal Ramon's gold chains. Yeah, made his chains. Yeah, because he, he didn't pay his taxes, so he got his chains stolen. You know why he didn't pay his taxes? Because he sells drugs. He's Razor Ramon. There's razor blades on his <laughs> pants, and he talks like a drug dealer from fucking Scarface. Tax-free business, isn't it? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He, he, this whole, like, his whole character is just him trying to get a spot in Carlito's way. <laughs> well, Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon take over on commentary <sighs> for the match. How hard did you guys pop for this? I was very excited for it, but I also found it weird that you move DiBiase out when his former, former partner and foe were there. Yeah, that is that is true, but like Vince and Ted aren't bad. They're just not very WWF, which sounds weird. They sound more like a really I mean, good. DiBiase like, just hasn't found his rhythm. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I don't know. He's if he, not I don't bad. know if he was on He's TV at this point. Was he commentating on TV? I don't remember. Maybe superstars, because I don't think he was on Raw. At this point, uh, I don't remember being on Raw. So I mean, just to throw him on a paper, if it was his first time and throwing him on paper, I'm sure I he's mean, worked. Some he other wasn't stuff. horrible. He's not bad. It's just that, but like, just, after I mean, having years of Ventura, you've listened to this Heenan, show. You know how we feel about Ventura. We, yeah, you know I mean, how we feel about Heenan. You know we love Gorilla. Like Heenan's. I even show. think Vince is good, but Vince needs a good Survivor Series. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Vince I mean, needs yeah, a Bobby. This is our first WWF show without Bobby or Ventura. Yeah. So it's yeah. very much a different. Those guys are fucking great well, at what they do. Ventura's been gone already. He was. He's been gone for a long time. But I'm just saying, we literally. But when we lost Ventura, we literally got Heenan. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. So it's like okay, well. So we literally have had two of the best heel commentators. Probably, probably the best probably... Tom, one heel commentators of all time. Yeah. Like my two favorites, you can add. Maybe like Lawler in later on, but he's a fucking scumbag. (laughs) And I mean, whatever Jesse, but Lawler has uh, some some deep trenches (laughs) that we that we're not willing to go into at the moment. We don't have time for that. This isn't an episode of um, cover him a little little bit down the line. We should do like a a true crime episode where we do like really high production. Shane and I do reenactments and we get the moody moody music and matt do the research about like the case files and stuff yeah dark side of wrestling oh i guess yeah dark side ring already took care of for us they do a great job and i can't wait for season three facts (laughs) (laughs) so razor throws his toothpick and iris responds with a slap to the face bitch (laughs) (laughs) which ramon comes back with a right hand sending shyster out to regroup Back in, IRS with a head slam into a turnbuckle. But Razor responds with right hands again to send Shyster to the floor. Ramon catches a big boot, turning IRS into an atomic drop and a clothesline for a two count. 
once back in the ring. Razor is then tossed over the ropes to the floor, and Shyster falls out to send Ramon into a ring post multiple times. Dragging Razor back into the ring before delivering a body slam, Iris heads up top, coming off, but Ramon gets a boot up, only for Shyster to avoid it, following up with an elbow drop. It was such a weird thing, like, he just, like, stopped. Yeah, it it looked like he just didn't want to take it, but then, like, it's a cool idea, but it doesn't translate very well to the eye and brain, because it's, like, a little kind of quick and weird. It's a cool idea for sure, especially it works with two guys that are tall, but Razor's taller than IRS, so it would have worked better the other way around. Also love that the the face is Razor, and the crowd is chanting bad guy. Which is so funny and so fucking WWF. Yep. Like, it's just, it's it's so funny. It, like, they have, they live in their own, like, terrarium of bullshit. And, like, people, like, when you're in it, it's fine or whatever, but, and it makes sense, but, like, it truly doesn't make sense. And it's, it's kind of uh, a crazy anomaly. This really kind of points that out in a fun way. Iris starts working at chin lock, only for Razor to fight out of it with elbows, but runs into a knee to the gut. Shyster then leg drops the groin and goes back to the chin lock with leverage and loads of sweat. Did you like literally just, he's like holding it on and you just see sweat just dripping down his face. Iris needs a, you know, he needs to switch to the trunk, just some trunks. Boy needs trunks. Yeah. Too much clothes. Too many clothes. Yeah. And he's quit hanging out with Regal something. <laughs> Again, Ramon battles out, hitting a fallaway slam for a near fall. Goes for an Irish whip, but Shyster reverses it, boomeranging Razor into the ref. Ah, ref bump. IRS crawls to the corner, grabbing his briefcase, only for Ramon to avoid and kick Shyster. He then picks up the briefcase and slams it across IRS's head. Makes the cover, but the ref is still out. Razor sets Shyster up on the turnbuckle for a super back suplex and calls for the Razor Edge. When Shawn Michaels is shown running out to the ring, nailing Ramon in the back of the head with his intercontinental title belt. He was like, ah, I'm not giving it up. I'm going to pay the fine, get your own. I'm going to be a little shithead. I don't know why there's two belts, but I love it. He's the real champion. Yeah. IRS crawls over and makes the cover. For the pin, and, and the win. win. And, and new! But, as Shyster is celebrating, Earl Hebner runs down to the ring to fill the original ref in on what transpired. Oh, the fans are pissed. While Razor picks up IRS for the Razor's Edge. Yeah, Fink has the second belt and shows it to him. He's like, see? There's a, I got another belt. I love... Love this WWF logic. Hitting it for the pin and, and the win. win. And post match, we get to see Ramon. And still! <laughs> Sorry. Ramon celebrating with both title belts. Mm, we're gonna, are we gonna uh, combine both IC belts? Scotty, two belts. Mm hmm. I feel like that's where we're headed. Oh, yeah. Maybe mm. a new kind of match. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm very excited to maybe potentially see. A new match with uh, a man like Razor and potentially 
you know, a fake IC belt holder Let's to really say, uh, set, set a standard that's probably never been. X marks the spot. Mm, yeah. JR then sends us to a video package, and we see Paul Bearer in a smoky room while Undertaker is making a double wide casket. This double wide and double deep. I forgot about these beautiful, corny, uh, tragic perfection. You know what I was thinking the other day was that, you know how Paul Bearer has his like cadence. He does the high voice, but he has a cadence of mm-hmm. the way the words come out of his mouth outside of the fact that they're obviously, you know, cracked falsetto or whatever. Kenny Omega does his shit the same way, but he does it low and breathy. I'm just saying. It's like very like musical, but in a bad way. Uh, and he does it like low and breathy. Yeah, he has. But, he has. Yeah, Omega I mean, has a weird cadence. I don't like o- Omega promos, but. They're different than everybody they're, else. They're different, but like this is like, it's kind of like Paul Bearer, but instead of like high and squeaky, they're low and breathy. And of course, Kenny has like three different modes of putting them off, but they're always kind of the same like musical type of thing. But I uh, was thinking that when I was watching this, and it made me laugh. We then see Yokozuna in the ring when the dead man gives his season's greetings. And then we go to another highlight of Yoko after a match, and Taker appears on the Tron saying, I don't make mistakes. I bury them. Great line. Mm -hmm. Yoko's face in all of these, he is so terrified. It looks... Like, he legitimately looks terrified. He is doing a great job of legitimately being afraid of The Undertaker. Like, it looks good. He's just like, he looks like a shocked child. It's incredible. We then see Bear opening the casket that Undertaker's been making to show us all a peek inside. It's a big casket, guys. When Paul Bear drives off with it in his little wagon or whatever, you can't even fit it on the back of the wagon. It's like crooked because it's too wide. We then see Zuna in his entourage in the ring with Jim Cornette. And Corny says that the contract came back with some fine print saying the title match would be a casket match. If you haven't been able to figure out where we're headed. Yeah. We then get one more highlight and shows Mr. Fuji telling Yokozuna to squash the casket that is outside the ring during a raw taping. And I don't even think Jimmy says that, like, casket match. He's like, some kind of match. He's, like, in a big box. Like, he's, like, really, like, doing a good job. We know he does. But as Yoko goes to lift the lid, the dead man springs forth from inside, sending Zuna running. Yeah. And we head to our fourth match. Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And the crowd is super hot for this. There's Undertaker signs the lights. There's fucking a sign with Yoko, like a drawing of Yoko in a casket that looks really nice. And we all know this now as the first BSK brawl. These guys are brothers. But, you know, we know that later. But right now, this is the BSK. That's their, like, tattoo. Yoko and Godfather and Undertaker. That's, like, their backyard. Or they're, like, they're kind of, like, they're, like, the clique. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what BSK stands for. Or something like that. Yeah. But I was just thinking, I was like, oh, these guys are, like, fucking best buds (laughs) uh, in this rules. But 
the crowd is so over for this. And that's really cool. And of course, it's a hot time. It's a casket match. Yeah, we've been, it's the, our third casket match so far. Kamala. Third or is it just our second? second? It might just be the second. I know there was the Kamala one. I can't think of a second. Yeah, I guess this is the second one. And it's another, you know, big foreign monster. Yeah. But the rules for this one, because they're slightly different, pinfalls don't count. There's no DQ, no count out, no submission. The only way to win is to stuff your opponent into the casket and close the lid. Because I think in the Kamala one, they had to pin them and then, and roll. then put them into the casket. Yeah, which yeah. is like, it's like, so okay, we'll clean this different. up a little bit. And then he hammered the nails in. Yeah. But the champion came out first. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. We see Bear roll the double wide casket out to the ring. Big ass casket. And the two men have a stare down in the middle of the ring when Yoko just charges at Taker. Only to sidestep and slam Zuna's head into the turnbuckle, followed by several jumping lariats, which causes Yokozuna to fall out to the floor before stumbling into the ring post. Took his ass out of the ring. Yeah, I know. Like, I was like, posted. It's like, self po. I'm scared. (laughs) It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Yoko just, he's afraid. He believes in uh, ghosts, ghouls, undertakers. The dead man follows out to the floor only to get slammed into the steel steps. But he no-sells it and returns the favor. What's funny is that he was slammed into the steel steps by a Samoan, but he was the one that no-sold it. Back in the ring, Undertaker hits old school. He then goes for another jumping lariat, but Yoko ducks to avoid sending Taker out to the floor. Zuna follows out and grabs a chair only for the dead man to block. Take the chair away and use it across the back and head several times. Oh, it's nasty and it looks good. These are unprotected noggin shots. Yoko then grabs some salt from the salt bucket, throwing it into the eyes of the Undertaker, allowing Zuna to take advantage, slamming his head into the steel steps again before nailing him with multiple chair shots. You know, uh, if you can't see the steps... Then it hurts. Then then you can feel them. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, like, of course the salt spot is great, and him slamming him again. Like, this this is good shit. Yokozuna rolls Taker back into the ring, delivers a clothesline before rolling him towards the casket. But the dead man isn't fully in and begins to fire up with right hands back inside the ring. I guess there's no chant for undead men from hell. He's not undead yet. Not yet. I'm sorry. He's just... The dead man. Cemetery. Cemetery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yoko catches the Undertaker with a belly to belly, only for the dead man to sit up, grabbing Zuna for a choke slam and a jumping DDT. Or as in Japan they call it an Uranage. Oh no, that's the rock bottom, sorry. <laughs> Taker rolls Zuna into the casket and tries to close the door. When Crush runs down to stop him just in time. Yes. Rolling back in the ring and delivering right hands. Goes for a clothesline that the dead man ducks and comes back with a forearm before knocking Crush out to the floor. The great Kabuki then comes running into the ring to attack the Undertaker. Followed by Jinichiro Tenru. And they go for a double-team clothesline. 
but again Taker ducks and delivers a double clothesline of his own. We just saw Tenru. It, it was did. fucking and, and Kabuki. Kabuki. And Great Kabuki. But yeah, but I mean, you know, Tenru, got, Tenru had a real showing here. Uh, a real Purple showing over pants there. crossing over, man. Journey of the Traveling Pants or whatever. Oh, I don't never saw that. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Sisterhood of the Traveling Purple Karate Pants. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I was like, oh, he was... I know where you were like 16 days ago. (laughs) Bam Bam Bigelow then joins the fray. And I literally was like, no, this is how you set up an Elimination Chamber match. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, they don't know what those are yet. Not yet. Crush is back in the ring, and it's four versus dead men. Somehow during all of this, Mr. Fuji has stolen the urn from Paul Bearer, and the four men in the ring are attempting to get the Undertaker into the casket, while Yokozuna has finally gotten up from his nap. But Bearer nails Fuji and Cornette from behind, and raises the urn high into the air, and the dead man comes alive. Sit up, that, that, the shape, you know, Michael Myers, that sit up, so good. Bigelow grabs the wooden salt pell and attempts to nail Taker across the face with it, but he moves in time, causing Crush to take the blow. Take that, fucker. Adam Bomb then makes his way out to the ring. Oh my gosh. Where Undertaker nails him and Bam Bam with, with the pell, and then Jeff Jarrett who we haven't seen since AWA Super Clash 3, episode 23. Oh, yeah, we got, we got Jeff Jarrett in his, uh, in his like... Ain't I great? In his bond, bonded, the weird bondage gear. Yeah. The, like, thing that I do. It's not... I don't know. It's the weirdest singlet, and he's the only one that's ever worn that, right? <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Double J leaps into the ring from the top rope, only for Taker to catch him by the throat. It's a rumble of its own already. The dead man's laying out everyone. When the head shrinkers come into the ring to hit a double super kick. Of Samu and Fatu. Making it nine on one when Diesel steps into the ring as well. Love that double super kick though. Everybody is getting their licks in until they can get Undertaker into the casket. But as Jarrett and Samu close the door, the dead man comes alive once again. Yokozuna steals the urn away from Bearer before nailing him across the head with a clubbing shot. Turns and nails Taker with the urn as well. Yoko then drops it, and all of a sudden, green smoke just starts coming out of it. It's fucking cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's Hit him with the urn, the urn is like, nah. It's cool. Green smoke. Yeah. Taker's alive. I mean, for all these, for all the time of, of Taker, that urn has symbolized some sort of power. There's some sort of magical force that goes on in there. You get visualization. visualization Every once of in a while, something happens yeah. to where you see the power. You feel the power. They're going all in on this shit. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not the wrestling that I love, but it's the wrestling that I want the WWF to do well. And they're doing it well right now. This is Scooby-Doo, baby. Crush hits a brain buster. Double J with a top rope elbow drop. Diesel with an elbow drop. Top rope diving headbutts from Bigelow and the head shrinkers. And we were bitching about Hawk no-sell and a pile driver. But this is a man with some powers, I guess. It's different. And the group decides to roll the Undertaker into the casket once again. What else could they do outside of stab him? 
Everyone then dogpiles on top of the casket for Yokozuna to win. Post-match, the group start rolling the casket back towards the locker room. When smoke starts to exude from it and the lights go out. Bong! And a picture of Taker inside the casket is shown on the Tron where he wakes up and delivers this message. Be not proud. The spirit of the Undertaker lives within the soul of all mankind. The eternal flame of life that cannot be extinguished. The origin of which cannot be explained. The answer lies in the everlasting spirit. Soon all mankind will witness the rebirth of the Undertaker. I I will will not rest in peace. Lights flicker, an explosion, and we see a body rising to the rafters. From the glowing Tron and to the rafters, the Undertaker finds his way to the pearly gates in front of our eyes. What the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> yes. It was essentially like uh, every like 50% of operas smashed into 15 minutes, but without songs in different languages. Yeah, this was this was the moment that Vince McMahon's You knew Taker. He was a the fa- character itself fa- was special. He's a face. Like it took all these guys to yeah. knock him out. He died and was like, yo, was I'm coming back. They'd Fuck you. never never done before. I yeah, mean, this, this is wild. This was comparable for nineteen ninety four, this was comparable to seeing Snooka jump off of the top of the cage yeah. in, in Madison Square Garden because this is... there'd never been anything like that and just the reaction that it got from people because it played into that reality supernatural thing that wrestling I mean, hadn't really This moment going over as perfected. well as it does is what basically allows Mankind and Kane to be a thing, right? Yes. And for them to have, like... I mean, this thing going over allows the WWF to become a little bit crazier with their gimmicks, even. Which is a good and a bad thing. It's a, you know... We we thought some of the characters were a little over the top back in the 80s. Yeah. Coco Beware being a bird man, you know, that kind of thing. But this allows them to go even more over the top. Yeah. But I have two notes. The reason this was done is because Undertaker had a back injury. Needed to take a few months off. So I thought this was a great way to send him out and have him And you off. sent him away as like a huge face. It took all those heels to kill him. And then he says, fuck you, I'm coming back. And then floats away. Like, And everybody was already on his side when it started. It's like... You already have a star. This you just made him a superstar. Yeah, you made him a superstar, and you pushed Yoko that much further into the top heel in the business because it took fucking it 30, took him and, and I mean, nine no. other guys to bury Undertaker, but they did it on his behalf. Then they also did it out of fear. They were completely terrified of the guy. Yeah, yeah. which makes them chicken shit heels too. <laughs> And the second note, the person that was being raised to the rafters mm-hmm. was Marty Jannetty. 
Really? Yeah. That's See, awesome. That part I didn't know all these years up until reading the notes. That's funny. I love when Vince McMahon says, The Undertaker is levitating in Providence, Rhode Island. And I just thought, uh, that's so very Vince. It's so good. Vince then sends us to some pre-recorded comments about the Rumble. We don't get them. This is one of the Rumble's words. We don't get all fucking 30 guys cutting a promo. We only get a select few. Macho Man, Jeff Jarrett, Tatanka, Diesel, Doink and Dink. Doink, yeah. All want that shot at the championship. We then get Shawn Michaels holding his IC title, saying when he wins the Rumble, it will be out with the old, and he like throws his belt away, Yes. and in with the new champion. Love the visual of him tossing the belt. And then Lex Luger has, the moment of truth has arrived, the opportunity I've asked for, the opportunity I've waited for, and it's finally here. And then we go back to Vince and him and Million Dollar Man are discussing Lex even being in the Rumble. Because DiBiase brings up the clause about Luger not being able to challenge for the title again. Yeah, Ted says Lex had his chance and Vince... didn't win at SummerSlam 93. Though, I was like, he didn't lose. He actually won the match. Yeah, he had a big celebration for it. It was just by count out. Yeah. So I was like... he got... Steiner celebrated because yeah. he, he could challenge for that belt again. But then we go to our fifth match. What we're all here for, the Royal Rumble. Hell yeah. The Fink goes over the rules, which there actually is a change this year. Because each entrant would be in 90 second increments instead of two minutes like previous years. Okay. And we get number one is Scott Steiner, one half of the Steiner Brothers. Um, wasn't he just, uh... In Japan? Japan? But so was Kabuki Tenru and Tenro. Very true. They were on true. the same plane. God, I think it was... The Steiners are probably one of the few people that have ever been able to get something in their WWF contract saying that they can go and work elsewhere, other places. Yeah, and it's probably also one of the reasons they never use them... The Steiners are known as WCW guys, not WWF guys. They're famous for their matches in WCW, and they're famous for their matches in Japan, and not WWF, and I imagine that Vince was probably like, oh, well, we're not having those matches here, so you guys go do your thing, we're not gonna, we're never gonna, like, yeah, you're you're just gonna be middling tag, I guess, which is crazy to think, but they did the same thing with the Road Warriors, and when they came over and Legion had doomed them, and they were kind and of a same part. Them, Road Warriors, Nasty Boys, they all get a push when they first show yeah. up, get them the title, they take the title yeah. off of them, and then they kind of just all blend into the middle. Yeah, which stinks. Which kind of is also kind of a bummer because I would have liked to see Demolition go longer, but they brought in these, these other guys that kind of like watered it. Yeah. Watered it down and like kind of took away some of the like heat from Demolition, and I think Demolition is really good. And that I would have well, liked to see them have a longer Axe run. Was, Axe yeah. was getting old, and I say, had they got them a few years earlier, yeah, could have had a little bit more. But yeah, but you yeah, like Axe when they were at far. their when Demolition no was crushing there. So. Yeah, when they were at their highest point in WWF is when they bring in LOD, and it's just kind of like okay, well, I guess the. Demolition's done. That's a bummer because Demolition rules. Yeah. I mean, I love the Road Warriors as well. 
The second entry into the Royal Rumble is Samu, one half of the Head Shrinkers, and he's being dragged to the ring by Afa. By his hair. Afa, be nice. The men go back and forth until Scott hits a Tiger Driver, but Samu comes back with a clothesline. And number three is Rick Steiner, the other half of the Steiner Brothers. Bye-bye, Samu. And he takes his time walking out to the ring. Love the wolves for Rick. I love that Rick is never the main thing, but everybody knows who he is, and he always gets the wolves in love. The Steiners begin to work over Samu as Rick hits a belly-to-belly, followed by Scott with a vertical suplex. Steiner line from Rick. The brothers go for a double clothesline, but Samu ducks and comes back off the ropes with a crossbody, only for the Steiners to move, sending Samu over the ropes, where he gets his head stuck before finally falling to the floor. Oh, it's gross. He, like, does a crossbody into the ropes and does, like, the mankind, like, head stuck in the two top ropes, twisted up. And, like, it's one thing to do that, but it's another to do it off of a running crossbody. I'm just like, oh, my God, is he okay? And Samu is eliminated. Bye-bye. Great, great, incredible bump. Got to give it up to him for that. Number four is Quang. With Harvey Whippleman, better known as Savio Vega, later in his career. Uh, why did they? What made them think that this was a character that he needed to play? I mean, the Undertaker worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Quang. It, well, yeah, it's not. It's not as very. Not as enticing of a name. This is like pre, fucking. Power Rangers, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Is a Power Rangers villain? Or well, something. it sounds like. Quang. Krang of the Ninja Turtles. Hey, there was a Krang on there too. Yeah, the there? brain in the belly of the big yellow thing that was cool. The big yellow right. robot. Yeah, I can't remember what that thing's name was. It was just Krang. Oh, well, okay, so the whole thing was Krang. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, I guess it doesn't have a name, it's a robot. But it looks like but also in the, the car- Goonies guy. In the cartoon, he was the only one, while in the comics, it was a whole race. Oh, did not know that. Yeah. I've read... I read the like first issue, but in the first issue, Shredder dies, and it rules. But I don't... Spoilers. It's the first issue. <laughs> Everyone knows this. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I've always wanted to buy those collections, but they always put them out, and then they get bought up, and then they're expensive. And I'm like, well, one day, I'll read the Eastman Laird. So does Shredder die, and then like become contaminated with the ooze and become Super Shredder? I'm not sure. I just know that the first issue is like 40 pages, and they didn't plan on it being a thing, but they printed it themselves, and it sold really well. Really good story. Get down to Wikipedia hole. Eastman Laird. But as soon as Quang is in the ring, he spits green mist into Rick's face. So Scott starts laying it in until he goes to check on Rick, allowing Quang to nail them from behind. Scott hits an overhead belly-to-belly on Quang, goes to check on Rick again, which allows Quang to once again nail them from behind. And number five is Owen, the Rocket Heart. Boo! Owen's got the real heat, man. I love that he got fucking some visceral heat in this show and then comes out. Because, like, it's one thing to do it on another show and, like, some people saw the pay-per-view, some didn't, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he gets the real fucking, the real heat. It's good. Bret Hart is, a, is an American treasure, okay? So you take that hate back to Canada. Canadian he's treasure. He's Canadian. But... <laughs> he's a Canadian treasure, but he's a treasure nonetheless. That's right. Owen lifts Rick up and over the ropes, with Steiner holding on for dear life until the rocket kicks him once too many. 
and Rick Steiner is eliminated. And this would be the last time we see him in the WWF. Boo. I mean, he was, he has no... There's no good place for the Steiner Brothers to go in the WWF, but I just always hate to see my boy Rick lose. Number six is Bart Gunn, one half of the Smoking Guns. And Vince then says something has broken out in the dressing room, and they're trying to get cameras back there. And then we get number seven, Diesel, who starts just going after everybody, tossing Gunn and then Scott Steiner over the ropes. Oh, and Million Dollar Man says, Oh man, Diesel's so big. He's almost as big as me when I'm standing on my wallet. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, Million Dollar Man, you're getting, you're, you're getting, uh, that's, yeah. Bobby, I would have I I had like 10 Bobby lines so far in this show, but you got one. You were get, <laughs> you got, you, you're not terrible. So Bart Gunn and Scott Steiner are eliminated. And this would be Scott Steiner's last match in the WWF for about eight years. Wow. Diesel then grabs Owen, tosses him out as well to the fans' approval. Oh, you know who? Uh, looks like Diesel's kind uh, of strong, guys. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's big and angry and somebody's got to stop him. Mm-hmm. And Owen Hart is eliminated. Kind of sad. Quang goes for a spinning heel kick on the big man, but Diesel holds onto the ropes, grabbing Quang and tossing him out as well to be the only one in the ring. That big old fucking clothesline 360 over the top. Damn, Diesel. And Quang is eliminated. Great, the star here. Number eight is Bob Backlund, who goes after Diesel's legs immediately, lifting him up, but he is just too big. And Diesel just overwhelms him. Tossing him out. And Bob Backlund is eliminated. They really almost had me. Like, the way Bob Backlund had him on the ropes and picked his leg, I was like, is Bob Backlund going to put Diesel out? That's crazy, but they really sold Diesel on the ropes really, really well. Number nine is Billy Gunn, the other half of the Smoking Guns. And Billy gets a few shots in, but he runs into a big boot before being tossed out. And Billy Gunn is eliminated. Is Diesel about to go in with, like, the most eliminations? Maybe. We then go to a shot from the back where the great Kabuki and Janichiro Tenru are beating down Lex Luger. All right. I know. I was like, that's cool. I'm fine with anybody beating down Lex, but then I had this thought. Is Lex going to win? They're showing that he's got beat up. Some Put some him shining through the adversity. I'm like, ugh. I don't want Lex to win. That was my thoughts of what I was, what I was watching. It's the things that came into my mind. Number 10 is Virgil. And <sighs> the last time we saw him was at Royal Rumble 93, episode 86. Ted's going to enjoy this. He doesn't have much hope for Virgil. I don't either, but I'm a Virgil lover. The fans still get us. It's not a big pop, but they still people still like Virgil. And I still say... I'm Team Virgil. Diesel just begins tossing Virgil around like the alternate for Kamala that he was, <laughs> lifting him up and over the ropes. And Virgil is eliminated, and this would be the last time we see him in the WWE. And Ted DiBiase he yells, next. And all I could think of was, like, Goldberg. Wasn't that the Goldberg thing? Next? Who's, Who's next? next? Who's next? Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. close enough. Uh, but next, I was like, when he yelled next... Was more like- 
Elaine yelling at the soup Nazi. He's done. Yeah, yeah. But I was just like, oh. Because he's really going in on some people like Goldberg will uh, in, and, you know, in years from now. The the one that he just got rid of was DiBiase's former employee. Well, so, yeah, I'm well aware. You know, even more. Next. You stole my belt, bitch. Now you're gone. But I was just like, oh. He's, Gold- he's, he's Goldberg in him. <laughs> Number 11 is Macho Man Randy Savage. Everybody, you get the Macho Pop. The Macho Pop that everybody once needs. Macho ducks a clothesline, starts laying it in with right hands, head slam into a turnbuckle, back elbow, and a clothesline before trying to lift Diesel up and over the ropes. And Diesel looks huge next to everybody, but like we've seen Macho Man so many times. Yep. Diesel is so huge. Like, how tall is he? Like, fucking 6'8"? Six, six, eight? Eight? Yeah, he's crazy. Like it's fucking something crazy like how big he is. Number 12 is Jeff Jarrett who storms the ring to save the big man, going to work on Savage and tossing him into the turnbuckle. Hits a body slam and comes off the second rope with a knee drop before hitting a drop kick and doing some strutting. Double J then climbs to the top rope, coming off with a flying clothesline before doing some more strutting and then tosses Macho Man over the ropes, only for Savage to hold on and roll back in to hit a jumping knee into Jared's back which sends him into Diesel, allowing Macho Man to toss the dazed Double J over the ropes. Oh, and Jeff Jarrett Struts is Struts to the back. That's Double J. J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-Double-T. Double J. And number 13 <laughs> is Crush. That was his little promo. Oh, I know. Shit back in the day. I know. Burning my head still all mm-hmm. these years later. What was it? The rap is crap. How lame was that? Uh, Didn't mean to rhyme there. Hey, slap nuts. Savage meets the Hawaiian as soon as he gets in the ring, delivering multiple top rope sledgehammers before turning his attention back to Diesel, which allows Crush to recover and nail him from behind. Crush hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, Diesel with an elbow drop, and Irish whipped into a Crush superkick followed by the Hawaiian picking him up and dumping Macho Man over the ropes to the floor. Pissed. I know. And Randy Savage boom. is eliminated. Boom, 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 Drop boom. him over the fucking rope. I know. trash. I mean... That's Randy fucking Savage. At least that tilt-a-whirl was cool. Number 14 is Doink the Clown with Dink. And Diesel goes after Crush. So Doink just sits back, waiting in the corner... But the two big men soon realize and make their way towards the clown, only for him to spray them both with his flower and starts pounding on them. Well, those little flower squirty. Doink goes for a body slam on Diesel, but he's just too big, and the two men hit a double clothesline. Number 15, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam, 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 bam. With Luna Vachon. Bam Bam's laying it in on the clown, ends up press slamming, Doink over the ropes and to the floor. And Doink the Clown is eliminated. Number 16 is Mabel with Oscar, one half of the men on a mission. Can the ring handle all these big men? Vince even asks, who knows the tonnage in the ring? And of course we get our patented. Whoop, there it is. Diesel decides it's time to get serious as he pulls the straps down. And Mabel goes right after the big rig, hitting a pair of avalanche splashes, 
but Diesel comes back with several clotheslines. Number 17, Thurman Sparky Plug. First or, time on the show. Or as we better know him as, Hardcore Holly, mm-hmm. is in as an alternate to 123 kid who is out with a knee injury. We get everybody brawling, trying to throw each other out to no avail. Yeah, we get the nice, like, this, like, okay, we're like halfway through. You get the zoom out from the top of the venue down. Looks good. You get the whole crowd. You got to have that shot once in every Royal Rumble. Number 18 is Shawn Michaels. There he is. Diesel looks like he's going to go after Shawn, but they shake hands, allowing Bam Bam, Mabel, and Crush to attack from behind and toss the big rig from the ring. Ooh, Shawn got what he wanted. Yeah, he did. Diesel is eliminated, but he would get a round of applause from the crowd. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just dropped like 11 guys. And that reaction would actually save his job, as he was really not catching on like Vince wanted him to. I mean, what did you just do? You just had him put manhandle so many guys in the Royal Rumble. Like, of course he's going to get over. The guy can only get so far being a bodyguard. Yeah, he's like, not only is he that big, that huge, and he manhandles people like that, but he's not dressed like Tatanka. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's a thing. You could, if, you, if you did this with Bam Bam instead, it would have also worked, and Bam Bam's already more over. So, because of this Rochester crowd, think of the butterfly effects through the world of wrestling. He would get a major push out of this and become Kevin Nash. Yes. One of the biggest names in the, biz. in the business. Yeah. All because of this Rochester crowd. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, they put him in the spot. I feel like that anybody that big that did this clean of a job, like, he's, it's not like he's fumbling out there, but he's also not fucking Scott Steiner backflip suplexing guys either he's just powerhousing them like I'd like to think anybody that big it wouldn't matter I mean literally out of all the people that he eliminated though like the only one that maybe had a shot at anything was Owen Hart yeah yeah but still I mean, I mean the, I guess they're all Ma- guys maybe Macho I mean Macho is probably the biggest name that he got yeah for sure but, but I mean that... like that's still like a third of the contestants that he dropped I'd be I'd be surprised if it didn't work. I mean, if he doesn't get rid of Owen and Macho, I don't think... You don't think that it works? I mean, I, I think the Owen thing is what got him the pop. Yeah. I don't know. Because everyone hated Owen that much. I mean, the Rumbles... This Rumble is really good because it keeps moving. We haven't got to the thing about Rumbles that I don't like, but we will soon uh, enough. We started getting some of it. A little bit. Number 19 is Mo, the other half of Men on a Mission... And Moe jumps in, helping Mabel out before trying to toss Michaels, only for Crush to make a save. Men on a mission hit a boomerang Irish whip avalanche splash on Bigelow, while Sparkplug looks to toss Sean, only for him to hang on and skin Skip the, the cat. cat. Number 20 is Greg the Hammer Valentine. Oh, my heart grows a little. He comes in with a bunch of elbows on different people. Also, Greg gets a pretty good pop. I mean, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, come on. Happy to see him back. I, I mean, wonder if he's from there, maybe. He was a knight last time, and no one knew that he was under the mask. So well, yeah, but... They're thinking maybe this is the first time they've probably seen him in a while. <laughs> Very maybe. true. They definitely didn't see him last. I forgot about the other that part. part. They didn't see him before. I didn't know he was under there. 
Men on a mission hit another double team avalanche splash on Bam Bam. Mabel charges in as well, but Bigelow moves to avoid as Crush press slams Sean down to the mat. Number 21 is Tatanka, and he starts working on Michaels before Mabel comes over to help Sean out, holding the Native American, until he moves to avoid HBK's shot so that the man on a mission takes the shot. Number 22, the Great Kabuki. Everybody in the ring except for Moe is trying to lift Mabel over the ropes, and they finally get him over, and Mabel is eliminated. Number 23, Lex Luger, who runs down to the ring and starts in on the Great Kabuki. Goes after a couple other guys, but then returns to toss Kabuki over the ropes. Yeah, and I was like, oh, Luger's out. Bye-bye, half of the field. And the Great Kabuki is eliminated, (laughs) and this is his only WWF pay-per-view match ever. Aww. It's all fine. He... What, what was he going to do here? Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, he didn't have to know Choppy Peepee. Thanks for inspiring Uda. Lex with the clothesline of Bam Bam. Crush with an atomic drop on Luger. Tatanka and Mo trading blows. Number 24, Jinichiro Tenru, who starts to chop the crap out of Lex. Slams his head into a turnbuckle while everybody else is brawling with each other. I know. Like, think about this. Here's Tenru coming out. Like, nobody really knows who this guy is. But he just fucking beat Antonio Inoki to, like, 28 days ago. It's fucking wild. And then he comes out here. It's like, that's the difference between having the internet and not having the internet is that he can come over here. It doesn't matter what he does. Like, it just, it doesn't matter. He's just a, a hand here. Number 25 is absolutely no one. Though Vince makes it seem like it was supposed to be Bret Hart, but it was actually supposed to be Bastion Booger. But he was actually unable to compete due to being sick. It's because I couldn't get a good enough handle on his banana supply. <laughs> we then get lots of standing around with the occasional punch or kick. Yeah, the part of the of the rumble that I don't love is where everybody like pairs up and kind of stands around. But they got it all the way to twenty five before that happened, and it typically happens earlier. So I think that this rumble moves really well, and then before it hits that point, I think that it takes its time to get to that point more than some other ones we watch, and I uh, appreciated it greatly. Number 26, the model, Rick Martel. And we get more brawling between everybody. Yes. Number 27, Brett, the Hitman Hart. Oh, limps to the ring. Big old pop. Big pop, but not as big as Owen's heat. But as soon as he hits the ring, Crush and Tenru start working that knee. Number 28, Fatu, the other half of the head shrinkers. Luger gets crushed halfway over the ropes when Bigelow comes to help. Then Spark Plug and Hitman quit hitting each other for a moment to go help as well to get the Hawaiian out to the floor. I know Vince says that there's gonna be there's two people left, but I was like, nobody came out of twenty-five. And then I think that's probably when he lets us know about Bastion Booger after that, because I was like, but wait, there's a guy didn't come out. And Crush is eliminated. Number 29, Marty Jannetty. Hit him with the dropkick, Marty Jannetty. Who runs in and the Rockers feud is back on. Uh, With Marty going for mounted punches, only for Sean to hit an atomic drop and looks to hit the super kick. But Tenru gets in the way. Oh, shit. 
and, and Marty like, like just like walks right in front of Sean as he's about to give the super kick. It's very funny. Marty, when Marty comes in hot with Sean, they do the like the like heavy sink rights where they're like you know holding each other's head and both throwing like rights. But they're some of the best ones I've ever seen, and it's in the middle of this rumble. But they look fucking awesome. Michaels resets to give another one, but Janetti ducks and delivers a super kick of his own before nailing a big right hand that sends Sean flying over to the apron. Marty attempts to vertical suplex Michaels out of the ring, but is blocked, and Sean delivers a suplex of his own in the middle of the ring. Number 30 is Adam Bomb with Harvey Whippleman, giving us 13 people in the ring. Yeah, as he comes out, Vince McMahon yells, Adam Bomb is going to win the Royal Rumble, and all I could... Think immediately was, oh man, I hope not. (laughs) I mean, like, no, but also, ugh, I really hope not. The hammer with double axe handle on Michaels. Spark plug trying to get Michaels over when Brett comes in from behind to toss Thurman out. And Thurman, Sparky plug, is eliminated. Later, Sparky. The brawling then starts going on for way too long until Martel rids the ring of Valentine by lifting him over. And Greg the Hammer Valentine is eliminated and would be the last time he would be in a WWF ring for 11 years. Tataka then ducks a charging model to send him flying over to the floor. And the model Rick Martel is eliminated. Bye-bye, Ricky. Adam Bomb with a clothesline of Lex charges in for another, but Luger ducks, sending Adam Bomb over to the floor. Well, that was quick. And he is eliminated. Fatu hits a super kick on Mo, sending him over the ropes to be eliminated. Bam Bam throws the Native American over to the floor, and Tatanka is eliminated. Marty with an atomic drop and a clothesline on Sean. Luger head slams Tenru into a turnbuckle. Bigelow whips Lex into a corner and charging in for a cannonball, but Luger avoids causing Bam Bam to flare flip over to the apron where Lex clotheslines him out to the floor. The Bam Bam flare flip, though. It was great. <laughs> yes, good. Bam Bam Bigelow is eliminated. Janetti has Michaels halfway over the ropes, but Sean ends up pulling Marty over with the head scissors to send him out to the floor. And Marty Janetti is eliminated. Yeah, he does the like head scissors on the outside of the ropes and rolls back in. It's really nice spot. Tenru is head slammed into a turnbuckle by Brett. Then it's double-teamed by Michaels and Fatu, who both telegraph a move, allowing Genichiro to give them a double noggin-knocker. Oh, which may be my favorite spot in the whole Rumble. Shawn Michaels, I mean, Tenru does a double noggin-knocker between Fatu and Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels sells it like fucking death. And Fatu no-sells it because he's from a fucking island. And it's fucking chef's kiss perfect. It is the most... Like it is, they've been the the island boys have been no selling headbutts for twenty years now, and <laughs> Shawn Michaels sells it like they've been no selling fucking headbutts for twenty years, and I couldn't appreciate it more. Hitman Irish whip spot two, while Lex Irish whips Shawn, so they collide in the middle of the ring. Tinru goes back to chopping Luger, but Hart comes over to help, allowing them to team up to toss Genichiro out to the floor. Bye bye Tan. And Genichiro Tenru is eliminated 
And this is the last time we would see him in an American match. Mm. So we got Lex Fatu, Brett, and Sean are our last four. That's a good last four. Hitman and Heartbreak Kid square off with each having several near eliminations. Only for Brett's need to give out. Fatu no-sells a face slam by Lex, answering with a super kick, and then goes up top to deliver a falling headbutt. The Head Shrinker and Sean then team up to vertical suplex Luger over the ropes, but he lands on the apron and fights his way back into the ring, slamming Michaels into a turnbuckle and hitting a clothesline on Fatu. Uh, There's a Fatu picture-perfect super kick in here, by the way. Hart with a drop kick on Sean before he and Lex both with Irish whips. But Michaels leaps frogs Fatu only for them to both run right into back body drops to send them over the ropes. And Fatu and Shawn Michaels are eliminated. Oh shit. And then Lex and Brett look at each other before starting to brawl. They're the last one standing. When Luger picks Hart up to body slam him over the ropes, but Hitman wiggles free, clotheslining Lex, only for it to send them both over the ropes to the floor. Oh my gosh. He goes with him. He goes to push Lex over, but he fucking he put too much behind it and went with him. Some bitch. The refs start arguing between them about I, who won the match. I love the faces of the crowd. They're just like, oh shit. And Fink makes the announcement. The winner of the Royal Rumble. And Luger's music starts to play. Boo. But Earl Hebner is yelling at Howard. The crowd's so booing too. So the music stops. Me. And Fink starts making another announcement. The winner of the Royal Rumble is... And Brett's music starts. <sighs> Only for his music to stop as well. Lex is pissed. The refs jump in the ring with Earl raising Hart's hand. They're all arguing. Joey Morello raising Lex's hand. When President Jack Tunney comes down to the ring to make the decision that both men have won the Royal Rumble. I know Vince shows, they show the replay and from the angle it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, Lex probably was out first because he's taller. (laughs) But like, you know, it looks pretty good. Do you guys have an opinion on who won? I mean, I think that since Lex is taller and he went over first, he probably touched, but you can't tell because they don't have the angle. Yeah, there's no conclusive angle at all. Which is nice. It's smart. But if I had to choose choose between the two... Brett. I'm going to give it to Brett this time. Yeah. Lex is taller. He went over first. Luger and Brett shake hands, even though no one really understands what's going on. Yeah, Fink's Fink's a very good actor here. Lex is just unenthused as hell. So, the story goes that Vince wasn't sure who he wanted to put into the WrestleMania main event. So I mean, he, Lex has not done, didn't, has not done very good for him, but Lex is, looks but he's like... Hogan. Yeah, he looks like the kind of guys that Vince has yeah. been using for so many years, and then Bret Hart does not. Bret Hart looks like a badass, but he's fucking six inches shorter than fucking Lex Luger. So Vince was literally going to let the crowd reactions tell him who would who should win. Well, we know what the answer to that is because it was obvious. And he was banking that it would be Lex. <laughs> and this is why they had him get beat down 
in the back as well to generate some sympathy for him. Yeah, so it's like we can really find out. Like he put it even put and it in his for Diesel he, instead. Yeah, he put it in both guys' favors, but one of them's a better storyline. Yeah, is Owen Hart and Bret Hart, and plus we all like Bret Hart. What's not to like about Bret Hart? He's a good face. There are also reports from people at ringside that Luger did hit first. I mean, it's I watched it a few times more than the replay, and like you can't see the feet, but the general vibe by looking at it, like just putting, doing the the physics, doing some simple geometry, it's pretty obvious that Luger had to have been the first one to touch the floor. Sorry, Lex, you just kind of don't belong here. Lex just doesn't care about wrestling. You know who cares about wrestling a whole lot? Bret Hart. Bret fucking Hart. Yeah, who cares possibly even more than Bret? Owen. <laughs> Vince says his goodbyes as we get highlight photos from the show. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of the Royal Rumble 1994? Great show, great rumble. Come on. It's good shit. This is like WWF fucking just firing firing off a firing off a good show. They're doing the goof. They're doing the like angles and the rumble didn't get bogged down until pretty late when a lot of the times it seems like it gets bogged down a little early with the too many people in the ring business but diesel get it, using that spot for to get diesel over makes made the rumble Which a I little still more risk unintentional yeah I, I literally don't think they were intentionally trying to get him over it seems crazy that it wasn't intentional but it is what it is and i think that it helped the it helped the flow of the match perhaps kind of the same several matches that i enjoyed the rumble itself moved quickly there were some nice surprises in there there was a few little all right this is enough moments yeah but i mean that's every rumble. the taker yoko match has stood out in my memory forever and ever just because it was one of the most unique endings for its time and shit still to this time it's one of those things like we saw wcw try to do some wacky shit and it just fucking sucked and then here it's like oh well you can make it work where they're trying to do too much of the cinematic shit right now what they did back then worked perfectly with just the the little this is cinematic and live because and like that's why Granted, I know they're doing the cinematic stuff more now because of the no audience, so they can do a little extra, but it takes away that sense of reality when it's a scene from Friday the 13th with bikers. Yeah. So I was really enjoying this show (laughs) until the Rumble, as I thought the entire undercard was really well worked. It's great. And progressed storylines. Yes. And everything. One of the better undercards of a Rumble probably show too. The Rumble itself, I felt, was plotting. And if really not for a couple of people's work in it, mainly, you know, Shawn Michaels, uh, right at the very end. I think Fatu did really great. Diesel at the beginning. Yeah. Um, honestly, my... I would have considered, considered the Rumble just bad. I liked it. Because I felt I like mean, it we could all have, yeah, yeah, it's fine, but it's not as exciting because it's a lot of guys that are just like whatever. But I mean, I think that it moved well. I, I said it a while ago. Who did Diesel eliminate? 
doesn't matter. City did it. Who's his star here? Who's a star here? Sean. I mean, yeah. I, did, I didn't. It, it didn't put him over in my. I'm like, he, he's bigger than every single person, yeah. and he was like, literally, if they had had 13 people in the ring and he starts eliminating everyone, that's one thing. But he literally was one on one. It's this. Do you it's think the that's because thing, of like it's the, the same thing Lesnar did? What two years ago? Yeah. I'm like, it's impressive. I get it. It's impressive. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like he's one on one. He's bigger and badder than but everyone nobody knows, but like, that this walks guy's into that nobody. ring. So like. He's a nobody, but he's big, so it's like. But he's still oh. bigger than everyone. Yeah, but he's a nobody, so it's like surprising. I mean, it's Vinny it, Vegas, man. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't know. I, I, I like the Rumble match, all right. Also, and the, give, and the plotting stuff, like you, you said, it took forever to get to that point, but once it did get to that point, it went on. It went on. Yeah, but there's sometimes that work. happens at number fucking thirteen like, thir- or whatever, 30... and it started at twenty number twenty five. So that's my. But reason. the thing is, is that even. There was 13 people in the ring when 30 came out, and it literally they they there was not another elimination for five minutes. Yeah, they did it well for half like, the match, which is pretty good because normally don't it's, give me 13 people in the ring ever. Yeah, but we've had that ever. most rumbles for probably longer than we do in this one. Yeah, I don't know. I like that's why I was plotting. Yeah. Me. Also, I want to big up Sparky Plug because they didn't put any fucking. They didn't really pay much attention to him, but if you paid attention to him while you're watching the show, he was really great in there. Mm-hmm. Like, he was fucking, he was good. Yeah, so, looking at the top, or the final ten of the Rumble, you got Tatanka, you got Kabuki making a once-in-a-lifetime appearance, or I guess twice, because he showed up in the Undertaker match. Luger, which they were trying to force down people's throat. Tenru, which most people didn't know. Nobody for Bastion Booger. I mean, there's only three people in this entire match that had any chance of winning. Rick Ponto, yeah. then you got Brett at the famed number 27 Which is spot. Brett, Sean, and Lex. Yep. Yeah. The only three people that had Fatu, any chance of winning. Marty, and Adam Bomb to finish out the lineup. That's sad. Savage, had they... Yeah, Savage, you would have loved for him to go further, but it is what it is. Yeah. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I really liked the faking the crowd out with the IC thing. Given, given uh, IRS yeah. Ah. the win and then being like, nope, don't think so. <laughs> Pay your taxes, people. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, like, I mean, the Brett Owen stuff, of course. Bam Bam Bigelow's Tatanka match was a really great start of a show. Like it was really good. Um, super Taker Natural. Yeah, I mean this the take. That's that's the best thing on this show. Yeah, the is... first four matches are really good, and it all worked. What's also funny is that like basically everybody is in the Rumble too. It's just like oh, I guess we have just I mean we need to build stars, and it's kind of funny that Diesel was built, but it's crazy that they didn't think that he would get. Like become a person people noticed after this with what they did. Yeah, I, I mean everything that I've seen is like literally he. I think his contract was about to run up, and they were planning I mean, they booked on him to murder everyone. Renew it, but once know, again, know, but once again, know, you have to look know, at who he eliminated. I know. And then, but the Macho Man won to, to to top it off after all those other guys, and it's not like people didn't know who those other guys were. Well, actually, Crush I think eliminated. 
Oh, okay. Well, shit. Well, if they really wanted to get Diesel Extra over, I would put out Macho Man. But he probably would have gotten booed then. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Any other favorite moments? This is a good show. Like, I think this is a. I mean, I enjoyed the show. Even though I didn't love the Rumble, I I thought it was still a good show. I mean, the undercard works perfectly for me. Yes. And even though the Rumble is plotting, there are still good moments in it. Yeah. It's just the end, like, ten minutes of that match is just very, like, okay, let's let's yeah. speed this up. But I bit. feel like that I get that feeling earlier in most Rumbles than I did in this one, and that's my caveat. But it's not usually five minutes between, like, after everyone is in the ring. And they usually don't have 13 people in the ring. I don't know. It feels like there's always 13 people in the ring. But maybe I just remember differently. I don't know. I thought this Rumble moved nicely. I... It, it moved I, until about 23, and then it just slowed to a snail's pace. Yeah, but I feel like it slows earlier. Is my is my Well, usually they do the snail's pace in things. the middle, and then they speed it back up at the end, which makes it better. Yeah, I guess so, but I think that I like was just happy to have not gotten slow in the middle. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I, had, I enjoyed it for what it was, even though we know that there was only... Two guys that really could have three won. Guys. Three potentially. Sean. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, there's three guys that were would have won, but like, I don't know. I thought that it moved moved well enough for me personally. Yeah, I'll have Marty just dress up as the spirit of the Taker and maybe give him a shot. Yeah, put him. <laughs> you put him in his Max Moon gear. How about most disappointing? I mean, I think I've kind of expressed all my. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that two guys won, but. Whatever. If it means that uh, Brett goes on and Lex leaves, I don't I mean, care. I feel like it, it. It leads to an interesting yeah. thing that they do. It's a so. cool. It's a cool idea. It just always kind of sucks when something is a draw. You know what I mean? Just because you want a winner, but I'm not mad at it because I get it. But you know, if I went to a Royal Rumble, like I want somebody to win. <laughs> okay. yeah. So. I could see that be being disappointing, but it also sets up an immediate feud with the two guys. So I'm like, all right, well, I want to see Lex versus Bret Hart on the next pay-per-view. So, like, it leaves... It does that thing where it's like, okay, well, we want the pay-per-view to finish storylines, and then we want... The, and then build to the next one. But this one sets up a lot of stuff, but it does it in a really good way. So mm-hmm. it's not a... Bring me to WrestleMania. Anything else? I mean, this is a good show. I mean, for me, anytime you have to throw Jack Tunney in there, it takes away a little more of my joy when you already have... Uh... <laughs> That's so small. <laughs> Tunney just came out because somebody had to do something. And Fink doesn't have the... Fink can't call it. He's just doing what he's told. He'll be gone soon enough. I just yeah. don't like him. So yeah, he's he's my most disappointing. He was always just... That's a pretty it, good, it like most disappointing, considering... A kid, and the president was on TV. It was the most horrible thing ever, and it was the same thing with wrestling. When Jack Tunney was on TV, you knew you just had to suffer through it until it was over, because then you wouldn't see him again for six months. How about best performer of the night? Is it Owen? Is Owen, it Brett? Um, uh, yeah, is it, yeah, Brett's selling of the leg for I mean, the whole night. He, here's the thing about Brett... Is that he literally limps out to the ring? Yeah, and he gets beat up when he first gets in the ring, and then he literally doesn't do anything until the final four. Yeah, but so, he sells the leg the whole time, which that's nice. Yeah, 
He doesn't like forget about the leg after he gets in there and just start like powerhousing people. Well, definitely. I mean, he wouldn't have done that even if he was healthy. Yeah, right, fucking hard. So, anything surprising? I know that Undertaker like ascends to heaven, but I that it took fucking that every that was heel. So well done. Well, that it was well done, but that it took every heel to do it. So it's like okay, well, this just turns Taker into a superhero, and he already was one. They but it's like, it's like Marty of all people 12, with that job. Yeah, twelve <laughs> guys, twelve fucking guys, I mean, twelve. Ten- Huge heels. Technically, does that make uh, the best performer the production crew for WWF? I mean, honestly, for that match, like, like, because that could have done been done. That could have like been fucked up so easily, and it wasn't. It was perfect. It was legitimately perfect. Yoko's all the package of Yoko being scared of the Taker is so good, and then his reaction in the show is just like, oh, like it really makes him a threat, a threat so big that needs. Every fucking heel above six feet. I'm actually going to go back to most disappointing for a second. I do feel like having that many heels come out and help him. That was when the match. Of, it I turned into like, another rumble. I feel like it actually stole some of his heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little too much. I mean, for I, sure. It, I think that it, it, I think it, that it did, four guys it did should literally have done it. superpower Undertaker. Yeah, which I get. Which, That's what they were doing. But it does steal a little bit of Yoko's heat. Yeah, it does. I feel like that it should have been like four guys, maybe. But like it, they just kept coming, I mean, and I was like, "This is ridiculous." But then at that point, it just had a, a smile on my face. So basically, the story going into the show is that like Crush, Tenru, and Kabuki have been brought into their faction, whatever you want to yeah. call it. At that point, basically helping you. Like if it had just been them three come out and helped, yeah, I think it would have been. I feel like it should have been enough. But like once they just start bringing in like random people like Jeff Jarrett Crush and, Adam Bomb yeah and Adam Bomb it's like it's a little much we're just throwing every it's a little, it's we're a little, just literally throwing yeah. every heel in the business it's kind of like they planned this for the Undertaker to come back as like the strongest thing on the planet but they didn't plan that for Diesel even though they still fed him all those guys it's kind of like oh okay like oh. Yeah. back to most surprising the, I mean the Diesel thing is surprising just for the Very sheer fact I that agree. He, he had been doing nothing. Yeah, you made a star in fucking 30 minutes. I, I still don't think they did it intentionally. I, I but don't know. It seems crazy that, they, that that's not intentional to me still. I understand your point, but it still seems crazy to me that they didn't plan it. That there wasn't a plan. But, I mean, how could it be if it was not doing anything until then? Maybe it was another test. If this guy puts 10 guys over the fucking ropes and doesn't get a cheer, then we're just going to cut him loose. Think that's probably yeah. and they may got a bigger reaction than they thought they were gonna get for sure. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. This week the category is music of the mat. It's my music. Break it down. I will play the theme song of a wrestler. Guess it correctly for three points so you're gonna be want to be quick on those buzzers so we but we buzzing or yelling you want to buzz here we go shane Johnny be back. that's correct <laughs> i know <laughs> Uh, I was like, like I was struggling generic to guitar riff, and then I was like, <laughs> they say it. <laughs> I told you you had to be clear. I know, I know. 
It was that generic guitar riff. I was like, well, it's not Cobb County, Georgia, but it's not. But I was like, well, what is it? And then John. <laughs> so three more points for Shane. Next week, the night the line was crossed, going to Philly for some ECW action. Ooh, is it is his uh like is this like a full pay per view? We getting into like a pay per view recap. We getting into two days, two matches, handicam twenty four or two days, twenty four matches. Like, what's the show like? TV. No, it's an actual super card okay. pay per view type show. On, on the network? On the network. All right, cool. In Philly. That's right. Mm. So the music from this week's show, I'm literally just going to play the theme from the Royal Rumble at the beginning and the end because that's technically what they did in the arena. You played Alex, oh, the Lex music because and the Bret Hart music at the same one. time. They had the Le- they played the Lex music. Yeah, I know. Then they played the Bret music. Yeah. And then after they decided that they both won, they played the Royal Rumble theme song as the credits went out. <laughs> play all three at the same time. I tried to mash them up, and it does not sound good. I know. I, I thought that would be funny that it sounded bad. But, uh, so, yeah. Does it sound like angry American jazz? or It just clashes <laughs> so much. It's not even... Yeah, it's just the, yeah, the brown note. Because uh, you have the tuba and horns from Stars and Stripes Forever with yeah, the electric guitar. guitar of, and it just... And like, I don't remember what the actual Royal Rumble. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Mi- I didn't mix it into the. Okay. Into oh, the, the um, but so, I mean, you know, hopefully we'll see Sabu. Uh, since like, cause, you know, a full ass like good Sabu gnarly match. That's what I'm excited for. The what I've read about this show mm-hmm. is literally the the name is kind of spot on, and, I, and they named it even before. All the reviews for the show came out. This is like the now we're ECW. Like this is where like, like there's blood it's, and tits and the show that kind of put ECW that made people notice ECW. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna get at least three debuts of some people that we know all know, know who, they who they are. I mean, it's not their debuts, but it, it'll be the debut for us. It'll be the, yeah, debut um, and for them as the people we know them to the be. the main event is considered the the match that kind of put ECW on the map. Yeah. So, definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, put them, um, like, in the bronze. Like, if this was the Wrestling Olympics, Promotion Olympics, there was nobody at bronze, and now somebody's at bronze, and it's ECW. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, we're going to Philly. We always could use some Philly. Yeah. Uh, A fucking Budweiser. Like, just a a tall can of beer. I don't know what we're going to do with all these EC dubs. You can always email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or you can always find us on Twitter at Wrestling Histo X that's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O X we'll talk to you next week later